I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Good morning, Celtics fans. We're recording at 9 a.m. England time, 1 a.m. West Coast time, which makes it 4 a.m. East Coast time. As you can see, we're doing it at a very early time. My name is Adam Taylor. I'm joined by Mr. Brendan Nunes. And we want to talk about what we saw in game four. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what we're happy changed from games one, two, and three. How you doing today, my buddy Brendan? 1 a.m., dude. You're you putting in the, the hard hours today. I am, man. Yeah. You know, just finished watching these West Coast games and kind of analyzing a little bit and ready to talk a little bit of Celtics. And if you're cool with it, I think maybe the move might be to talk about what the issues we had with the first three games were. I'll, I'll let the listeners know uh, we, we definitely recorded something before the second Indiana game that was going to get released after it um, that was fairly negative. And then a lot of the things that we had pointed out that we weren't too happy with uh, changed in the most recent Indiana one. So because of that, we scrapped the negative one, And now we're re-recording at very early times. Very, very early times. More so for you than me. Yeah, well, is what it is. Usually you're the late night one. Um, yeah, you know, so I finished at 2.30 a.m. I was back up at like whew. 8. Yeah, crazy. Um, and then... The issues mainly that we had with the the first games, you know, the Brooklyn Indiana one, obviously was the shot selection, right? When you're when you're talking about Tatum and Brown specifically, because those are the guys taking the majority of the shots, mainly Brand, uh, Tatum, obviously, right? Um, what were some of the other issues we had? The spacing with the two big lineup, right? Yeah, the spacing with the two big lineup. I had an issue which I'm, I kind of aired a little bit on Twitter yesterday about the lack of variance in the way they ran pick and roll. It was very much just a high pick and roll or a double or a stagger screen pick and roll. And that was pretty much as far as they were going in their creativity, trying to open up play opportunities. And it's frustrating because it's like so predictable. And I understand that you don't really have the shot creators or the ball handlers to play much deeper in terms of variance of pick and roll offense. You know, like Spain pick and rolls, you see them run that when Kemba's on the floor. Uh, some pistol which again you see them run when Kemba's on the floor but that was a big issue for me because it was just like it's so easy for teams to hone in on that and just hedge real hard and take you take that pick and roll out of the play and then everything breaks down so that was a real big complaint for me yeah and yeah that reminded me my biggest thing was probably that I felt like the team was just freaking boring on offense for the reasons you just said like it felt like Every play was going to be a high pick and roll and whatever man it got swung to, if it was passed to a center, then they were going to go to a dribble handoff. If it was passed to a wing or a guard, it was just going to be another pick and roll. Um, And there were occasional moments of good ball movement, but it would start with a pick and roll and then kind of just swinging and, you know, uh, trying to get around the defense rotating that definitely changed in the second Indiana game. I felt like the offense was more fluid. There was off-ball movement that I felt like we didn't see as much before. Um, and honestly, a big part of that was like Pritchard was really good with the ball in his hands. You know, like he okay. So this is this is we're gonna stop right here. This is Brendan's redemption oh moment. This is where Brendan admits that at the moment he was wrong on Pritchard. I'm. Starting to believe that I could have been wrong. Yes. 
I, yeah, he's got, you know, he's got to do it longer than this for sure. But four games in like, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Be, you know, the first Indiana game, right. He went, he didn't miss a shot uh, pulling up the exact box score here. I believe it was three of three from three and five of five from the field, um, which, but you know, I mean, it was fairly low usage, but he's the backup point guard rolling out there. Yeah. Five of five from the field, three of three from three. And then in the most recent one, yeah, like I said, just ball in his hands, you know, was playing clutch minutes at the end of games. And what really got me, because like we've seen him create in a pick and roll, it's nothing new, um, but it was the the way that he was like using his body to finish around the rim against guys like Sabonis that was really impressive to me and something that I didn't feel like I felt like was part of his bag before. Are you getting on the Peyton Pritchard train? I've got I, I'm all aboard. I'm all aboard. I'll send you a ticket. As long as there's room. Yeah, I'm really happy with... Yeah, there's all... all right, it's a little <laughs> overcrowded. Yeah. Fast, dude. <laughs> no, look, in Peyton Pritchard, I think the Celtics have got somebody that could develop into a very reliable backup point guard. There was people saying on social media they could see him getting some starting minutes later in the year. I personally don't see... I can see him closing games more than I can see him starting games, especially if it's a tight one where you need some offensive punch. I always felt comfortable in that game yesterday against Indiana when we needed a bucket. Sorry, when Boston needed a bucket and the ball was in Pritchard's hands. He's, he, you just kind of know he's going to make something happen, right? Whether it's going to be a nice pass or he's going to drive and dish or he's going to pull up from the parking lot and just drain a free in someone's dome. There's just that confidence about him that kind of instills confidence in you when you're watching that game. And as you said, that was a big part of the way the Celtics kind of altered their offense and now i want to give you some credit now because on that episode nobody's going to hear you asked for some changes to be made in terms of personnel playing and those changes actually happened and we've got the receipts guys if you want to hear i can sound <laughs> clip it brendan who was you asking for and it what? was actually so funny yeah i tuned in a little late to the game and saw both my guys in there um yeah i was saying you know i'm i was over shimmy Oshale. i didn't feel like he was bringing you anything um, like, I guess I, I'm probably overstating that a little bit. It's that Shemi, I don't know. Like he's not a, what does he do? Well, like, I guess he's an okay defender. He doesn't get beat on that end. He can be a somewhat positive on that end. He's not bringing you anything on the offensive end of the floor. And my whole thing was if you're struggling on offense and you're a really good defense, I think you should try to utilize transition play. And Boston hadn't been doing that enough because partially because of the personnel. Um, but the players that they have on the team that are really good at doing that are Javante Green, obviously a ridiculous athlete and, you know, showed a little bit of a shot in the preseason and has done a good job defending. And part of the, I think one of the main reasons he got in in this one was he, uh, I, I believe he was getting minute matched with Doug McDermott and chasing him through screens, which he does better than Shemi. Um, and then Time Lord, obviously the other one, great vertical spacing and runs up and down the floor probably quicker than than Thompson or Tice. Um, and yeah, both those guys were were sharing the floor and and sure enough, they're getting out in transition. Yeah, so Doug McDermott completely ate Grant breakfast lunch in game one of Indiana. He was running Grant Williams off the floor when Grant was trying to chase him through screens. Grant just doesn't have that lateral and vertical quickness to kind of navigate coming off screens like that and staying in front of his man. And it was allowing McDermott to get some easy looks. 
when they threw on Javante Green, Javante was closing out on him more. He was challenging those jumpers a lot more. And he effectively kind of took Doug McDermott out of the game for stretches. And then on offense, you do have that kind of jackknife, just throw it up and he's going to hammer it down sort of outlet guy. But he also he's also added a free ball to his game, a corner free, mind you, but still a free ball, which is allowing the floor to kind of space that little bit more, which again, you, you get that with Grant Williams, but you don't get it on a fast break opportunity where teams have to close out on Javante because he's showing he can drop the free. But he's so quick and so athletic that if you close out on him, he's just going to like bomb the close out and just dunk on you so he did add an extra element to the Celtics offense and I'll give you credit man you called it before the game Brad Stevens listened said Brendan said this so this is direct what I'm going to do <laughs> direct quote you think so that's in the we, pod uh, too it's I'll in have the to pod go you know, nobody can hear it yeah yeah well I mean, I might clip it and pull it out into the ether. but seriously like it was a good call and definitely Brad Stevens saw something in Javante Green did he, um, as far as I'm aware, he had the most minutes off the bench, unless Peyton Pritchard kind of he did. Took that he did. Pritchard ended up with game. 27, Javante with 21. But it was a shallow rotation, you know. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Time Lord only 11. Like you said, Grant five. Um, yeah, Teague, Teague did end up with 19, and yeah, um, it, it definitely was a little bit of a more shallow rotation, which you know makes sense with a top-heavy roster. The other guy that we wanted to get see thrown out there. Um, that didn't happen in this one. And, you know, we were kind of up and down in that recording, you know, like I understand why Neesmith isn't getting minutes, but at the same time, like when you're desperate for shooting and spacing, and that's the one thing that I, I feel confident in Neesmith being able to do right now, um, I, I would just like to see him get tried out there a little bit. I, I get that. You know, they, they may have not even had a single day of practice yet. I know that that's the case for some teams. I don't know if that's for sure the case for Boston. Um, he didn't even play, uh, Neesmith, that is, a full season at um, Vanderbilt. You know, it's probably been over a year since he played organized basketball uh, prior to preseason. So, like, I get it, but he just seems like a guy that would desperately help the spacing that's needed. Yeah, and I'm expecting that if we're going to see him play, it's going to be against Memphis tonight. Memphis are going to be struggling in terms of there's no Jaron Jackson Jr., there's no John Morant. They're going to be relying quite heavily on Jonas Valanciunas and Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks. So I feel like there's going to be enough wiggle room to be able to put one poor defensive guy in, if that's what you're worried about with Neesmith to give you that extra spacing to attack guys like um, Jonas Valanciunas, who's most likely going to play a drop defense. So you're going to want to try and draw him out of the paint as much as possible to give people driving opportunities. And that's when you need that spacing. That's when Neesmith should be highly valuable. And he needs to start getting minutes sooner or later if you want any form of production from him in the playoffs when spacing becomes incredibly valuable to a team like Boston that by all accounts, have really embraced the drive, but the paint is still clogged because they don't have the shooters around guys like Tatum and Brown and Walker when he's back. Walker should do something for the yeah. spacing too, to open that paint up to allow those drives to be more regular and definitely more fruitful. So I want to see Lee Smith start to get minutes, and I'm okay with it being against teams that are air quotes lesser teams in either the East or the West. And I don't see Memphis as a lesser team when they're full strength. But at the moment with the injuries they have, 
this is a perfect opportunity to see Neesmith, in my opinion. Definitely. I'm with you. I'd love to see him get some run out there. And, yeah, I mean, if he can just shoot off movement, which I know is actually a lot to ask for, even though it sounds kind of basic from uh, – I don't know. I guess I don't want to call him a pure shooter. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just adding, like, that aspect, even just being a 37% catch-and-shoot guy, like, would be would be really helpful on this team. Um, the other – one other thing that we really pointed out, uh, you specifically, was, you know, Jalen's done a really good job slashing, and this was prior to the – uh, Indiana most recent game, the uh, the rematch. Uh, Jalen had been doing a really good job getting to the rim, and Tatum not so much. And you know, I, I kind of was talking about how Jalen's a slasher, and Tatum's obviously a little bit more of a pull up shooter. But and, and I guess I kind of excused Tatum with that because in this game, he totally showed that he can get to the rim, at, at like kind of at will. Right. Like, I mean, he has the length to do it. We know he has the bag and the dribble moves and he's like slippery. And when he gets around the rim and um, yeah, he, he actually was finishing really good around the rim as well, but 10 free throw attempts from Tatum, 10 from Marcus and 10 from Jalen is, is different for sure. Like there was an emphasis on getting to the paint for the whole team. Yeah. And Tatum had been taking roughly, Nine threes a game. He had one where he took three because he'd averaged 28 threes over the first three games of the season, which is a lot. Um, in this game, he only aver- he only took three attempts from deep. The rest of his attempts all came in the lanes or from that mid-range area, that nice little turnaround. We, he went into his bag a few times. We saw a couple of step-throughs from the mid-post. We saw him Euro-step a few times. He, but he was using his frame to kind of get his way to the rim. And this is, to me, going to be what opens up that mid-range and free-ball game so much more for Tatum, is if he continues to attack the rim, put pressure on defences and make them respect his driving game. Because sometimes I feel like teams just expect him to be a pull-up guy, so they'll play him a little bit closer because they don't expect that drive. So I was really happy with that. Super happy to see him start getting some foul calls, considering he hadn't shot a free-throw attempt for the first two games of the season. What I want now is more of the same. I'd I feel like he should be shooting maybe six threes a game at the moment just to keep defenses honest from that far, that type of area on the floor. But these drives have been really impressive in the last game. I like the fact that he ended with a double-double too, rebounding. He got four assists. He had three steals. He just showed that Jason Tatum has been lying dormant compared to the Tatum that we kind of come to expect. And if him and Jalen can get it going early, then this team's going to be completely fine because those two guys both look like they're going to be taking a jump this year. Jalen Brown is, and I've said it multiple times, I'm going to keep banging this drum all year. Jalen Brown is the most improved candidate, most improved player candidate for me. And he's showing it too. He's driving, his pull-up game's been great. I mean, this was a quiet game from Jalen in terms of attempts, in terms of usage. He still ended the game with 20 points, four steals, two rebounds, seven of 13 from the floor, one or two from deep. He had 10 free throw attempts too. Again, we said on the last podcast we did that, I was on record saying I want to see him improve in that free throw shooting. I still do. He only shot 50% from the line. That's a rough one. You need, yeah, you need to convert those opportunities. Those, but I'm those really four happy. steals are no joke. And three for Tatum too. Like they were very aggressive. Yeah, they were. Uh, so I saw somebody tweet out about this and I'm pretty sure it was Keith Smith. Saying that in the pre-game press conferences, Brad Stevens had made a point of saying that they need to be very more 
I can't remember the wording and it'll take me ages to find a tweet, but it was basically like, we need to take care of the ball more on defense. We need to be trying getting out in steals, clogging the passing lanes and really pestering guys as they try and drive. And you saw that a lot. Like they were hedging. They were really smart yeah. in the way they were attacking the ball handler. That led to some fast break opportunities. And then you've got guys like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Tatum's great at reading the passing lane. And Brown is really crafty at reading where a player's going to go and then being there first to take the ball. So it was really good defensive play from the team. There was times, like the third quarter, obviously, where they absolutely stunk the place up on defense. And they were just, and I just don't understand why it's always the third quarter. I know people are going to say it wasn't, but here's some stats for you. In game one, the Celtics won the third quarter by 12 against Milwaukee. Game two, against the Nets, I had to remember who it was, they lost the third quarter by 12. Game three, against Indiana, lost the third quarter by 11. Game four, which was yesterday, lost the third quarter by 12. So they, they've lost the last three third quarters by double digits. And I just don't understand why their defense is so stellar in the fourth and usually the first or second. It's generally one of the two. But it just stinks in the third quarter all the time. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly with these with these Indiana ones. Um, like obviously the the Brooklyn one, KD had his crazy run in the third quarter. Um, yeah, I mean these Indiana ones, like Oladipo, definitely got going. Um, and I think part of being really aggressive and kind of hunting steals more so on the defensive end of the floor is going to mean that, you know, you, you give up more easy looks when you are uh, gambling. But I think that that's, it, it, you know, it, it makes up for it a little bit, assuming that uh, you do lead to more transition opportunities. And for, again, a team that is more offense deprived and solid on the defensive end, I think that's a trade-off that you're willing to take. Um, and that might have had something to do with the third quarter for these Indiana ones. But, yeah, I'm going to have to keep a little bit closer tabs on exactly what's going wrong there because, you know, first instinct was like, okay, well, did Pritchard T get a lot of minutes? But, you know, start of the third quarter would just be starters again. So, Yeah, and the last thing I want to touch on before we look at the Memphis game was the two-man two big game. Sorry, the two-big man game with the ball movement that was going on between Tyson and Thompson. They linked up early in the first for a nice give-and-go game. Did you see that play? Between who again? Um, Tyson Thompson. I actually don't remember it off the top of my There was head a now. really nice give and go play off the, um, I think it was the right side wing or the right side corner. Tyson had the ball dumped off to Thompson, drove and then got the little, bank, the little bounce dump off pass back and then finished with really nice, I think it was a dunk. But it was just that ball movement that kind of, to me, predicates why they're trying to, what Brad Stevens is trying to do with these two guys. He's giving a guy like, Toist that can facilitate that can stretch the floor a little bit he's giving him more room to kind of grow his drive game and by having someone like Thompson there he's always going to be able to make sure there's an offensive rebound guy there and if those two connect and hook up the way they did on that play and on several others throughout the, throughout the game I think Brad Stevens may have stumbled onto something that could work I don't think you could run that lineup with Grant Williams as well as what you could with Toist just because Tice is a little bit more mobile on both ends of the floor for me. But I like what the early signs that are starting to show of a partnership between those two. It's very traditional to run with that type of lineup. I grew up with traditional basketball before the small ball movement, so maybe it's a bit of nostalgia as well. But I definitely think the signs of 
growth between the two and an understanding between the two that could be really beneficial once the playoffs roll around and the defense they bring as well. As you saw when Brad Stevens went back to that two big lineup to close the game out, the defense that they bring is no joke. Definitely. And, you know, part of this big man lineup and, you know, running a lot of pick and roll, uh, something we also mentioned in the, uh, we, we got to come up with a name for this, the mystery pod, the pod that shall not be heard, um, was that, you know, if you're, if Tatum's getting a pick and roll, say Thompson's the guy um, that, that's setting the screen when he's getting downhill, more likely than not, Tice is on the opposite block dunker spot and his man is going to be the one that's helping. And that's where you see these lobs or drop-off passes all the time. And it was not happening in these first three games. And there were a couple in this one. Um, Jalen threw one, actually, that stood out to me. And it was like, okay, I like he put together some dribble moves. It was actually he crossed over Brogdon at the top of the key. wasn't even a screen. And then he went in and then threw this lob pass to, to Tice. And I was like, well, that's a whole different player right there. Yeah, Brown's improving and he's really, to me, kind of, he's embracing that additional playmaking aspect of his game. But again... His handles even better this year. Yeah, dude, he's tightening it up every offseason now. It's it's amazing and yeah. it's really nice to see. But that's, to me, the benefit of having the two bigs is, like you say, there's two guys on the low block, one taking a weak side helper, so he usually becomes available. The weak side cuts are going to be a lot better because you've got somebody that's able to score off a lob, able to score off a dump off. They can get work done in the post. There's just such a multifaceted offense when the ball does reach the post. And there's two guys that can get work done down there. So I like the way that Brad Stevens is utilizing this. I'm curious whether he runs with it through the season and this is who he's going to have at his four now in Tice. Or whether once Kemba Walker comes back, he's going to try and look for a little bit more of a fluid offense, more of a Brad Stevens type offense than what we've been seeing the last few games. Yeah, you're saying Kemba maybe replaces Smart and they keep the two bigs. Yeah, or Kemba might come in and he decides he wants to slide JT up to the four and bring in another wing. Right. You know, because that's a more fluid offense. Once Kemba Walker's on the floor, you're going to want to play at a bit of a higher pace than what they are at the moment because they're they're slowly breaking down teams. Once Walker's back and he's healthy, I can see Tice being the first big off the bench or the second big off the bench if Rob Williams keeps playing the way he does. And you bring in another wing to make that team more fluid, more potent with an extra ball handler. And then it's more of a Brad Stevens offense once you've got three or four ball handlers on the floor plus a big. Yeah, it's funny. I felt like this team used to just be all versatile players, right? And now it feels like there's very defined roles. You know what I mean? Like there's Yeah, and there's value in that though. I feel like there is a thing, yeah. Like I understand that having these versatile guys, and I, I genuinely, once Kemper's back, expect the starting lineup to be a versatile lineup again. But when you've got defined roles, like you know that if, if you need a bucket around the post, you give it to Tristan Thompson because he's got those jump hooks, right? Yeah, I, mean, I don't feel great about that offense, but if you need to, yeah. Yeah, you know it's there. This is what I'm saying. You know yeah. that if you need someone to drive a rip through, you give it to Jalen Brown. If you right. need a mid-range pull-up, or if you want some free throws, you give it to Tatum. There's a very, someone in the face, you got Marcus, you know? Yeah, if you want someone to just headbutt someone, then Marcus Smart's your guy. Yeah, and, why not? And then if you want somebody to just shock the world and make Brendan eat his words on a nightly <laughs> basis, then you give it to Peyton Pritchard. Yeah. So there is value in having a very defined role within a team, but I do expect that once Kemper's back, they move towards a more versatile starting five. 
And they really need Kemba. They need more versatility to this offense. They need more people that can make plays. Um, they're still not, in my mind, like they, they don't have enough shooters. They don't have guys that I feel like Tatum and Brown can really trust. I think that Pritchard's getting there. I think uh, Jalen had a funny quote that I, I'm pretty sure the quote was just that he said, Pritchard's the GOAT. Um, and that one that one blew up a little bit, obviously, on Celtics Twitter. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, these core guys need players that they can trust, you know, and I think Kemba can be that and Brad needs to be able to trust them. And I think a really underrated guy in this is Romeo Langford. Um, you know, we, we saw him getting playoff minutes and I think that when he's back, he, he's one of these versatile guys that can initiate and be trusted on the defensive end of the floor. Like I think Romeo's a really underrated missing piece right now. So did you hear what Romeo said in um, a press conference? I think it was before the game or the day or the or the day after the last Indiana game, no. where he was like, the Romeo you're going to see when I'm back is a completely different player than the one you saw last year. Like, I'm more confident. I know what's expected of me now. I'm expecting that Romeo is going to have quite a big part to play. And I'm curious what that means for Neesmith. And I'm a little bit curious how that what that means for Peyton Pritchard, because if Pritchard continues to play like this, then he needs minutes. I'm sorry, but he needs minutes, and I will yeah. sign a petition to make sure well, that happens. Honestly, if Pritchard plays good, you cut Teague out. You know, who's been poor. Yeah, he has. He has. Um, wow. Oh, of six in that game. He also got to the line 10 times. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the, the old box score. Um, yeah. In, in the newer Pacer game, he was two of seven and two of three from three. Um, oh, that's what you mentioned nice. as well in the last part. You were like, I see what you're on the back with those scoop layups now. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The ones that uh, I forget. I saw a hilarious tweet that said, uh, Miles Turner's blocks per game, it needs to be taken into account that he's played against Jeff T twice. It's true, though, dude. And, like, there was a play last, uh, in last night's game where Jeff Teague was on the break and he, like, went for the finger roll scoop, you know, what the young kids called the jelly. And <laughs> the dunk was just right there, dude. His hand was already above the rim when he let the ball go. Like, why risk missing a layup when you suck at these one-handed scoop layups? When you can just jam the ball. You've got Miles Turner closing in on the rear view. Just jam it. And he missed the layup, obviously, because it's Jeff Teague. So, yeah, if he continues to play like this and Pritchard continues to show that he's the second coming of Isaiah Thomas, then I'm all for putting Pritchard in over Teague. And that was a big claim by me for the Pritchard. More joke <laughs> than anything, but still. Yeah, it, it, to to backtrack a little bit to the whole, like, what does it mean for Neesmith if if Romeo comes in? I think that, you know, if Neesmith is good enough, you, fi you find minutes for him. Like, he he's a versatile wing um, that, you know, you would think could play two, three, like, maybe four with his wingspan. Probably not. He's short, but maybe in some lineups, you know. Um, and, and Romeo you kind of have the same like two to three range for. And I think Jalen and Jason give you enough versatility and even smart. Like, I, I think you find, you find minutes for them if, if they deserve it, you know, it's not too overcrowded. So going back to this versatile lineup, once Kemba's back, do you see a world if Romeo really is a better, like a different player, a more aggressive player than what he was last year? Do you see a world where it's Kemba, Romeo, Brown, Tatum and Thompson for your starting five? Because that's a versatile lineup. That is four legitimate ball handlers plus a very good offensive and defensive rebounder. I think, and the could. defense there is no joke too. Like from like yeah. Romeo can play D, 
Brown can play D, Tatum can play D, Thompson can play D, and then you just hide Kemper in the corner somewhere. Yeah, I, I think it's going to depend a lot on, obviously, Romeo, like his, the, because you need a playmaker in the second lineup, right? Maybe you don't if you're staggering, um, but I, I, I think that there could be a logic to like Romeo being the playmaker of the second lineup. Romeo and Pritchard wouldn't be bad as a, a one and two off the bench. No, it, it wouldn't be. Like, I, I think, you know, Romeo was really underrated in his aspect of uh, getting to the rim. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's his strongest strength. That's where he dominated in Indiana High School. That's what yeah. you primarily saw from him during college, more so necessitated due to that thumb injury, so he didn't really have that pull-up right. for him. But I just see a world where that could happen. If you need a versatile starting five, then yeah. to me, that is one of the most versatile starting fives you can put out there, assuming Romeo comes back and is actually improved you know we see him more determined to get to the line and not, not being hid in the in the weak side corner but yeah three four ball handlers plus a solid defender is exactly the way i see brad stevens going with this offense once kemba walker's back to full fitness and, and then your bench say that was your starting lineup right and then your bench is pritchard smart Smith, grant and time lord or tice like all of a sudden you got okay depth yeah, and I'm very comfortable with that bench as well. I feel like Rob Williams, if he keeps playing the way he has the last two games, and this is real and it's not just a flash or a glimmer of the future, if this is Rob Williams now and Rob Williams is... And I heard um, Mike Gorman and Scal joke about this. Like We're seeing this Rob Williams because he's like, hold on, you signed Tristan Thompson, so I'm not guaranteed minutes. Right, I want to show you what I'm about right now. Yeah. If this is what we are getting from Rob Williams on a nightly basis, then... That bench has some firepower to it. There's going to be vertical spacing. You're going to have some legitimate scoring gravity in Neesmith and Pritchard. Then you're going to have Grant Williams playing a little bit of post, shading that to the free setting screens. And there's some other parts that will be towards the end of that bench rotation that are interchangeable depending on matchups. So it makes a lot of sense for me. And again, I do genuinely believe that we're seeing this too big lineup because they've slowed the pace down in Kemba Walker's absence. And once he's back, we're going to see that offense revert, revert more to something we're used to seeing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely looked a lot better in this Indiana game. Um, but the three games prior to this were not pretty for Boston's offense. So going to need to see this keep up. Um, it looks like, you know, maybe they figured something out um in a new style here to go about with but yeah it's going to be a little different team to team obviously and maybe your defense struggles a little more when you're not also playing a team that is pretty traditional rolling out both Sabonis and Turner um so yeah I'm not ready to say you know like the offense is fixed yet or anything after one game but it seems like there's a blueprint of like a way to you know put a band-aid or all of a sudden there's a plan b right Exactly. Yeah. All of a sudden, now there's two legitimate ways that they can go about their offense. And we're seeing this one slowly come to fruition. It's going to take a while, especially figuring out, how, figuring out how to attack with a traditional lineup against a more versatile switchy lineup. But yeah. it's, definitely, it's definitely a blueprint that's slowly being built upon, which is going to be much more important once the playoffs roll around because now you can switch between those lineups depending on how the other coaches are scheming against you. Let's just, let's just end it up now with a quick look at Memphis. As we said, towards the middle of the podcast, no Jar Morant, no Jaron Jackson Jr. They're probably going to run the Anthony Melton at the one, I'd imagine. Uh, Kyle Anderson's been playing really well. He's been on low usage, but 
He's been getting it done. Very efficient shot making, very efficient scoring. I'm assuming his usage rates is going well. It's almost obvious his usage rates going to increase now. So the, the question becomes, can he still be as efficient with more attempts? We're going to find out. Dylan Brooks kind of put it together in game three. He'd been struggling for the first two. He's always someone to watch out for. He's always the guy that can just make insanely difficult shots. Fun guy to watch. And then Jonas Valanciunas, I love. I think he's such an underrated big man. I think he actually could give Boston some problems. Yeah, I mean, he could play inside out. Um, and then you switch him out for Brandon Clark that has got a Markel Fultz jump shot at the moment, randomly. I don't know where that came from. But again, he's good. Oh, they're, Clark? Yeah, that was yeah. so... Oh, God. <laughs> it's, he's been in the gym with Fultz, you can see. But... They've got a very versatile like four and five rotation that can hurt you from inside out. But Jonas, to me, is their biggest threat against the Celtics. Yeah, I think this is a game where Boston should have a stupid amount of turnovers. They don't have good playmakers on this team. Slow-mo, Kyle Anderson's the guy, right? And then, like, Tyus Jones actually is, you know, like the assisted turnover just god on that end but it's because he's not making like all too advanced reads um so i I don't know like but i think that lacking primary playmakers that you could really get up in their airspace and make them uncomfortable in a more high usage role than they're used to and really force turnovers and and get going in that way um and yeah protect the paint Team's not great at shooting threes, you know? They're not. They've got the thing is, they've got the personnel that can shoot threes, but they are very much a drive. Streaky, though. Yeah, drive and kick. Jonas is going to be one of their main guys. I like the Anthony Melton as a backup guard. I'm very curious if he's going to get the start in that over Tyus Jones. Mm-hmm. But either way, their guard their guard lineup isn't going to be able to hang with Boston's. Their wings are good, but they're not Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Yeah, and yeah, like Dylan Brooks is always a wild card. He's just super inconsistent, um, not all too sure what you're getting from him on a game-to-game basis. Yeah, I think that as long as you win, I I think that they really need to pressure. I I really think they need to pressure the ball. I think you can get a lot of turnovers here. I don't think that you should really struggle against this team defensively. Um, I, I think that the or I'm sorry, I think that your offense should do well against this Memphis defense, um, especially like uh, the, these wings. I have no clue who is supposed to guard Tatum. And then after that, who's supposed to guard Brown? Like they don't, they don't have these wing defenders with the size to guard those guys. Like I guess it's Kyle Anderson and then – Man, like I didn't realize how short this roster is without Morant. They have ten guys. Yeah, and a few of those guys just won't be able to make their presence felt on the floor. Yeah. By the way, uh, Celtics draft pick technically Desmond Bain gonna show up. Yeah, I mean he's he's a lot more jacked than what I thought he was. You know, really? Oh yeah, no, he's freaking huge. He's I love Desmond jacked, Bain. dude. He's got such a frame on him, and he's got a soft touch from three too. <laughs> He was like a draft Twitter's uh, little crush. For what I will sure. say is though that the Grizzlies do play at quite a high pace, or they did with Morant. So it'll be I'm just, Taylor Jenkins tends to like them to run a little bit of a high paced offense. So 
that might mean you see less Grant Williams, more Javante Green again. It might mean that you see a lot more Rob Williams minutes because he can get up and down the floor a lot quicker than what Tyson Thompson can. But mm-hmm. I'm just not sure how he fares against Jonas. That's more of a Thompson matchup for me due to the size and strength. There's, it's it's going to be good. It's two different brands of basketball going head to head. Boston clearly has the better roster and the more talented wings. Probably the more talented guards too while Morant's out. So, I mean, it's unfair to judge Memphis on whatever they show against Boston to the, today now, actually, because they're without their two best players. But at the same time, this is a game that Boston should... I don't, there should be no third quarter collapse and it should not end as a close game. Yeah, where this could be an issue is if jump shots aren't falling because I think they do have decent rim protection still with Brandon Clark and Valanchunas. Um you know, like if, if Valanchunas is the guy that you're putting in a pick and roll and, and Clark's the guy at the rim, I, I don't know that that goes great for you. So if you kind of get caught up in, in a jump shot battle and, and, you know, sometimes shots just don't fall, I, I could see that potentially being a problem. Um, but it, it really shouldn't be. I mean, you should be able to outshoot that roster no matter. Um, yeah. And, and like I said, Valanchunas worries me a little bit because while Thompson's bigger and stronger and and like I think most people just think he's bigger he's actually not that tall no Um, he's just sturdy dude right I was very surprised to find out he was 6'9 but again it's going to be you know you should have enough scoring and enough driving ability that you drag you drag um Valentunas out of the paint a little bit to try and so what I'm looking for is secondary cuts so your primary cut is usually going to get cut off by Jonas once you start entering the paint or the block and then I want a secondary cut off the weak side allowing dump off opportunities that to me is going to be the most important thing the secondary and third so the second and third actions on offense are going to be far more important than the initial point of attack because you're going to need to manipulate where you put where Jonas is and the way he's covering the drop scheme. If you can manipulate that, then you should get some good looks at the basket. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, I'm predicting a, uh, unsurprisingly, a rough Pritchard game in this one. I think that the best a rough defense, Pritchard game, a rough Pritchard game. I uh, think the best, one of some of the best defense from Memphis is these guards, D'Anthony Melton and Tyus Jones are no joke on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah. And if he does play a good game, I want to tweet out there apologizing to Pritchard. That's fine. That's fine. And I'd be glad to. I just think like, you know, they, they are really good on ball defenders. And if they get up on him, uh, could cause a little bit of issues. Okay. Well, we'll find out later today. I mean, Brendan, it's 1.45 a.m. for you. So I'm happy to say adieu to everybody listening. See me go French then. Oh, yeah. Adieu. So, guys, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We hope you enjoyed the Pacers game. Let's get this win tonight against Memphis. We'll be back again on Friday to see... You know, we'll talk about what we saw against Memphis. We'll talk about all the good things, try and touch on a few yeah. negative things because we... Neesmith's 30-point game. You know? um, yeah, Neesmith's 30-point game on 100% shooting. That's going to happen. <laughs> We're predicting it now. Jokes aside, you can catch us again on Friday. If you've enjoyed listening, leave that five-star written review. Uh, make sure to hit that subscribe and tell your friends that are Celtics fans about the Celtics pod. Best endorsement possible is word of mouth. Guys, have a good day. Have a good week. And we'll see you again Friday.